Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life. This is Austin Linney here. We have a treat. We don't know if he's a taxi. We don't even know what he's doing today. We think he sells roofs, but we don't even know. <laughs> so uh, before we get into you, uh, I'm going to give him a little backstory. So I was 17, um, a lost little boy. Uh, parents got divorced, started working in the restaurant business, which back then we just call it the drug business. I think... I don't think it was called the restaurant business. I think it was called the drug business. And uh, me and this gentleman, you know, for lack of a better word, my first ever mentor, uh, we hadn't spoken in years and reconnected a couple of months ago. And and here we are, Mr. Kurt Hampton. How are you doing, sir? Hi. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too, man. What a... Awesome to see uh, you trending from time to time. <laughs> so guys... You know, what you haven't seen on the podcast is a lot of people see, you know, four years up, right? They see they see this, but what they haven't seen is, you know, 17. I tell stories about that, but they don't, but they don't know. Before we get into you, I I love if you could give the audience kind of an understanding of, of who I was at, at 17 and 18 and 19. Okay. Um so and and I have to share this because I'm getting to watch the culmination of what I felt like we tried to do mentally and spiritually with you a million times and him hit a wall and start all the way over mentally, spiritually, um, I'd never seen someone come off the starting block as strong as him, but then when he got hit, I'd never seen anyone fall as hard as him. And we went through that. I got to tell you a story. I used to, I still cycle a little bit, but I used to cycle a lot when I lived in Tempe and these old guy, this old guy, like 60, right? Dude, the first time I ever rode with somebody ever, like a group of people. Right. And uh, I smoked his ass like in the first thing. And then he just destroyed me on the Hills and he, and he pulled up and he said to me, he said, Hey, young man, he said, you got a, you got a great kick, but you don't got the stamina. No. And you know what I, I loved, what I loved about you is, uh, you know, you had such a passion and such a charisma. And I always thought if you could carry that, through your failure hmm. you'd be you'd be there you 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 know it 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 was one of the things that we worked on and i think that you know me and another buddy uh terry Folsom, i don't know if he minds but we kind of you know took you under our wing and we we tried to do our best to put the bumpers down the bowling alley for you even showing you tough love but you know uh it's funny because we were talking about it. We were, me and Terry, we were talking how, you know, you used to live in a, in some other person's closet, right? 
and how and and college at the time, as much as we were motivators and trying to help you, distractors, <laughs> we it, it never dawned on us that you were you shouldn't have been living in someone's closet. So as smart as we were, we never said. Hey, you should get out of that. Couldn't yeah, the guy. Yeah, the the the, we fucking, the the goddamn mentors were the ones getting me in trouble too. <laughs> so you you were you know you were feisty, uh, a firecracker, and then you know when adversity would hit, you'd be a limp noodle, uh, and cycled. Yeah, you know? thousand percent. So, oh, enough about me for the moment. Who is uh, Kurt Hampton? So Kirk Hampton, um, I am the first civilian in the United States to um, get diagnosed with Havana syndrome, which is brain damage and deafness caused from a RF or electromagnetic weapon. Uh Prior to me, we'd only had uh, CIA, FBI, uh, State Department personnel um, get hit with this weapon and diagnosed. And um, I'm the University of Texas uh, ENT's first case. Um, they're my heroes. I'm kind of like a mini celebrity there, you know. Because uh, they'd only read about this in the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA. Mm -hmm. um, and it was awesome. My doctor ended up being from uh, Cuba, where all of this originally started at an embassy where 40 of our U.S. personnel got diagnosed with the same thing. Uh, and so I'm also a whistleblower to the Commodity Futures Trading Commission um, for IRA fraud. Um, a large amount of it. And uh, I'm a business owner. I own a company, uh, Top of the Lion. Uh, we do um, roofs primarily. We do, you know, anything construction, residential, commercial. Uh, and I've been doing that for a year. Uh, I, I'm actually better at being um, uh, the first civilian to get hit with a high energy weapon than I am at construction currently. No, I'm just playing. We and did it, pretty good. And a reluctant pastor as well, too. That's hey, that's for thank you for not thank you for for not letting me miss that part. Yes. So my father-in-law, uh, he played football for Baylor and he came down with memory problems. And the family asked me to um be the minister, which I've been for eight months now, and I love it. So thank you for not letting me leave that out. Um, the father's appreciates that. You know, um, so we'll tackle that first one because that's a that's a big thing. People probably don't even know what you said there in the, in the first part. Um, you've always been really good at sales. That's that's been yeah. your that's been your thing. That's that's propelled you. I love people. Yeah. I love stuff. Well, people. what happened though? Because you were making a ton of money. And it's good. And what shifted for you? So I never, I, I always made a tremendous amount of money. So in 2006, when I, I my first year out of college, um, I made in 10 months, $112,000 by the age of, and I was 22 or 23 at the time. Um, 
by the time I hit 30, I made my first million. Um, I'm 41 now. I probably made one or two, you know, since 30, but um, certainly didn't save it. Uh, you know, made sure I spent it well. But I was making at least a quarter million dollars a year when I left the precious metals industry. So I stayed, I stayed very successful. So. And why, why did, I mean, you know, it, it's been a lot easier to keep your mouth shut. You know, why, why did you, why did you make a shift? Well, um, yeah, that's a really great question. So I think that I'm, I, I'm working on a book called the values and the variables. The premise of it is that a man in terms of who he is and what's right is a virtue that can be chosen and carried at any time, all the time, no matter what the circumstances are. So there's nothing in life that we as people should ever come up to, no situation, and reason with ourselves that we can't choose the highest level of virtue that's imaginable or obtainable. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew a tremendous amount of elderly investors that had one expectation of what they should have gotten uh, for their retirement. And there were um, terrible, terrible indications that something different uh, was occurring. And I had to answer to, you know, these people's retirements, they're liquidating through me and with me. And I had to answer to every time somebody did a required minimum distribution, which once you turn past 72 and a half, the government requires you sell IRA. Well, every final quarter, I'd have had to have been covering up for something I didn't agree with, you know, and um, it led to it led to me. It, we had an impasse. And so I, I left uh, that company and, um, you know, my life changed shortly after that. It, it was within a year I was diagnosed with brain damage, you know. Well, the righteous normally are the ones that get roasted. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. I do understand, you know, in, in the book, which I can't quote it verbatim, but, you know, Paul had a thorn in his side, you know, that he refused to move, remove. Uh, he was thankful for it. You know, he called it God's grace. And so certainly me going through what I went through, um, I'll put it to you like this. I thought I was mentally tough, Austin the guy that you, you knew or whatever, okay. that guy, uh, he's one one hundredth of the mental strength that it took to get through what I got through in the last few years. So I, I interviewed what I, you know, I wouldn't, let's just say monetarily successful. I interviewed the most monetary successful guy I've ever met in my life per month. He makes the most money I've ever heard of. Right but he was also the biggest ecstasy dealer on the East coast for, for eight years. Right. And his brother went to jail for him and that was really affecting him. Like my brother sacrificed for me and blah, blah, blah. And he tells this crazy story. Actually, I'll just tell you the story. Cause I think it's wild. So he's at the lowest of the low and somebody hands him a book. Now he's in, he's on the East coast, uh, somewhere up in New Jersey or whatever. He's outside of a restaurant reading the book on a bench and this couple walks up to him and the man grabs the book and writes something in the book and then like gives him back the book. He's like, oh, great. He's like, fucking bullshit. Guy's going to write, go with God or some bullshit like that. He's like, fuck this shit. It was the author of the book. 
that he was oh wow and the guy lived in california like in that restaurant in that time right and he so he realized he said something was bigger than me at that moment right and he goes so i told the lord this is this is words out of his own mouth i told the lord that i was going to lead men and he goes then the lord proceeded to drown my ass for the next two years to see if i really wanted to lead men right (laughs) i thought it was the most poignant like why can't with that because I've always loved the Bible. You probably remember me, you know, trying mm-hmm. to preach to you at times I shouldn't have been, I imagine, trying to give you some kind of perspective, right? That, you know, but it, it was interesting because I never set out to minister and they asked me to do it four or five times. And finally, he was giving a sermon and he forgot to give it. And it was real. They'd already asked me to do it four times. Mm. He was just standing there talking about things that were not ministry related Mm -hmm. and it was you know i knew god called me because um i mean god pushed me into it and and it was that in a string of god pushed me into it i mean the odds of me getting hit with the high energy weapon or a a rf weapon they're they're worse than one out of a million um there's only been about 200 people i think uh, globally that have gotten diagnosed and they're, you know, CIA embassy workers. Mm-hmm. They're some of the highest decorated intelligence professionals in history. Mm-hmm. And um, going through it, it, it taught me a lot, not only about who I am, but who people are, the beauty in people. You know, I had a really bad thing happen to me. Okay. But you would, and you would think there'd be a lot of victimization or trauma in that. One of the coolest things about going through something so terrible, I mean, I'm in my bed, okay, for five hours hearing such a high pitch uh, frequency that I hear tissue inside of my uh, vestibular breaking, okay, it's crunching. I had fluid on the outside of my temples. Uh, my brain was swelling from the thermo, from the heat. Mm-hmm. It had nowhere to expand because of my skull. You know, it was one of the it was one of the most painful things I, I could try to explain. It was literal torture. And I went through one of the worst things that any human. I wouldn't wish it on any human, but I'll tell you what happened, man. I got to see the beauty in a lot of people along the way, and a lot. I got to see love in people along the way that had I not gone through something so painful, I would have never, it's like, you think you're thirsty, Austin, until you're in a desert, you know, then, then you know you're thirsty. A drink of water means something totally different when you're in a desert. Um, because because and- we as people have created a society where we totally remove the lack from existence, right? right? The radio right. destroys a good song because they play we- it 70 bajillion times. We take love for granted. Look, man, I, 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 there were people that didn't believe me because they couldn't see the weapon. And I understand it. You know, you're, it, my fam, I had, my brain was bleeding and not even anybody in my family was, they had the wherewithal to hand me an ice pack. Okay. I had traumatic brain injury and they couldn't see it. So they couldn't understand it. It was at some phases, one of the loneliest places I could describe, but I kept fighting and kept fighting. And, you know, I was working with the intelligence community quite a bit at the time, the FBI, sharing reports with the CIA, um, studying uh, some of 
you know, Anthony Ferrante, who's the former chief of cybersecurity for the FBI, and he did some cybersecurity work with the NSA, you know, talking to him on talking about some of the implications to, to those types of people. And I took um, I, I, I was pretty dizzy. I couldn't walk very well at the time, but I took a couple of years off and I immersed myself in accomplishing something that should have been impossible. Um, I got acknowledged as the first citizen. And I want to point something out about it. When I went in for my, my diagnosis, I walked in Austin and they said immediately that I'm deaf and there's something wrong with my brain. I said, perfect. Can you guys go ahead and give me the diagnosis so I can move on with the intelligence community? And they said, no. I said, wait a minute. You, I have the same exact thing going on with me as these other people in the medical field. Y'all are diagnosing and you won't diagnose me. They said, no. I said, why? They said, because you weren't stationed in Cuba. They said, what we're going to do is establish a health baseline and monitor you. Okay. And if the attacks continue and we observe more physical damage, then we'll consider it. Within uh, two months, I was diagnosed. So I took more damage. I kept feeding the intelligence community information, um, started giving up some real vital case information, and um, became the first civilian. It was difficult because I didn't even get acknowledged like our U.S. personnel. You know, they... I had to continue to keep getting hit and take physical damage to get acknowledged. But thankfully they, they gave me the diagnosis, you know, so pretty, pretty, pretty phenomenal overcoming. It, it felt like, you know, and why do you, and, 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 you know, I mean, you're sitting here talking to us, what's, you know, the road back. I mean, you know, how are you, how are you in a place with it with so much peace now? I mean, I wouldn't say peace, but how are Dang, you? That's, yeah, that's a question that um, makes me emotional for, because you see it evidently. But um, I'll tell you this, man, when you're at the end of your ego and yourself, okay? Mm -hmm. And you've put your whole effort into something everything you have and you still came up a little short to me that's one of the most liberating experiences that god gives us is failure and us having put in every single thing we have because then it makes it less confusing about who we need to be to continue to move forward if we're not going to quit mm -hmm. and in that my peace comes from the power that I know is in me is, is, is it can't be my own because I couldn't have accomplished what I accomplished, Austin. I would believe that it'd have to be God in me or some divine energy. If people are not of the background to use the word God in their spirituality or philosophy, mm -hmm. then I just call it a, a, a energy that has some sort of deity for what's good or what we could agree is good. And God, in my in my language, God gave me a peace. Um, I, he did all the work for me. I mean, dude, I was trying to hire a private investigator to prove 
what the CIA ended up proving for me. So I have a timeline of this that, you know, nobody would believe, but I'm, I'm in the hospital. Okay. I get hospitalized with, with, I got to go to the ER, uh, in 2020, uh, and over Christmas, they hit me December 5th. The nat of the same year, the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine released a 77-page report on how I could get medically treated, and it didn't exist prior to that. Mm -hmm. We're talking in the same month, our government released how, how I could get medical treatment. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, it was so new that the doctors didn't even, I was telling them to Google it, and they wouldn't. That's how new it was, mm -hmm. okay? They didn't even know, but... Uh, you know, Congress enacted the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine to do the most intelligent research on anything that's medicine, engineering or science. And because this was such an anomalous incident, they pulled out the, the top experts, you know, and so they proved and gave me a path to prove what was going on. You know, I'd have been in I don't know what I would have done without that. I wouldn't have had anything to even call what was happening to me. You know, and the, you know, the piece I have now is I see that it was all part of God's plan or divine intervention or whatever you'd, you'd call it, you know? Well, I think, I think the biggest thing is that we run from the darkness, like yeah. instead of making friends with it, <laughs> what I tell every, what I tell everybody is entrepreneurship, believing in yourself. It's like walking down a hallway with no handles on the doors and the lights are out. That's right. You have to continue to walk within the faith because what's behind you is what you already know. That's comfort, that's safety, right? And I had a guy tell me in Dallas a couple of year, months ago when I was at an event, he goes, man, your give a fuck is just gone. He's like, it's broke off. You don't give a shit. I said, it's not that I don't care. It's that I accept that feeling, but I don't, I don't let it control me. It's two different, right. two different things. Yeah. Right? And so when I started introducing myself as, Hey, I'm divorced, a meth addict, homeless, alcoholic, nice to meet you. Like you don't, there's nothing you can do. I'm, I'm owning it myself. Right. But we keep all of our skeletons and we keep our bullshit and we, you know, because what I've realized after doing as many podcasts as I have in coaching people, it's not failure that scares people. It's success. It's like, yeah. It's success. What if it all went right and my wife was happy and my kids were happy and we did all that? That scares the ever-living shit out of you because you only know how to operate with your back up against the wall. Well, people don't feel like they're worthy yeah. is what happens. Yeah. And they will tell themselves they're not worthy out of a perfect life, you know? This a lot of Four years ago, I refinanced. I did a great buy. I bought the house right at the right time. The house went up 200 grand. I refinanced uh, the house. I pulled 50 grand out. I paid off my debt. And I was the most miserable I've ever been in my entire life. <laughs> because I couldn't figure it out for like two days. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I go, oh, you only know how to operate from survival. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've always been pretty good with money. I, it was Dude, I remember when I met you in high school, you had a duffel bag underneath your your bed that had quarters and dollars and fives in it. I remember that. 
<laughs> I probably, I don't know, in high school, I didn't have an account in high school, but my mom, when I was young, used to borrow 20 from me. Now, I almost went, uh, when I got hit, you know, I poured my life into proving the impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I almost got to the point where I was selling everything, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I, we've, I've had, I've been working for dark mountain roofing, um, now for a year. Uh, my company is a consulting sales company, top of the line. Um, and just, I, I like this. I want to get to this part for your target market, right? We raised, uh, just me door knocking in a year, a little over a million in sales in one year. So, and that was me walking in to an industry I, I knew nothing about. He, Dark Mountain Roofing had been open for four years. Mm-hmm. So I got to rely on his expertise of what a, a quality repetitive process was for installs. Um, but I raised over a million pretty easy. May, I might already be there this year, by the way. And how does, how does one go in to doing that um, without, you know, knowing the business per se? Well, I had, you know, a history enough of, um, understanding people's needs and what they need as a human being. And I had the willingness to drive around a location and familiarize myself with every single roof that needed to be um, restored. And so I developed a pretty extensive client book. Um, But my rule was I was only going to communicate with clients that needed what I had to offer. Mm. So I really wasn't doing a lot of selling. Um, and if that meant that I talked to 20 more people rather than, uh, push somebody into doing something they didn't want to do, then, you know, I would just talk to 20 more people, but it's pretty easy because everyone needs a roof. And if you're, you know, humble, I think, and you care about what matters to them, and it's pretty easy to help them get one if you do a good job, you know? So I want to hit on there. So you said, say that one more time. You sold to people. That I sold I sold to people that were on my page that needed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot like sales. And in order to find these people, if I had to talk to 20 people to find out they weren't interested, that was okay with me. Um, I, was, I, I used to be in a, a high-pressure sales job. Mm-hmm. And I made a commitment with myself that I would never be a part of anything like that again. And so, and by the way, as salespeople, it's not comfortable to pressure people. So, mm-hmm. so I, 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 I like to, to preach a method mm-hmm. that involves, I'd rather have somebody give me a short term, no 20 times mm-hmm. so that I, I can get that one person that really loved what I wanted to offer mm-hmm. and what I was doing rather than contacting five people and having to wrestle one of those five into submission. Does that make sense? A thousand percent. I think it's, it's about work. Well, see, you and I, we're creatures of efficiency. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people, they think this is where, this is where people have sales wrong. Dude, I don't even know if you know I did this shit, okay? When I used to wait tables, this is the true story. I used to memorize what everybody in the restaurant did 
and, it, and I'm going to walk you through it. I found out who played T-ball, uh, kickball on Tuesdays. I found out who went to church on Fridays. I found out who was in a band. I found out who did everything. You want to know why I did that? So when I needed a day off, I'd go to that one person that had that one shift that could cover it instead of oh. going to 40 people. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> and so, and so in sales, I own, look, don't get me wrong, more leads, the better, but I almost feel, a, here's what they don't talk about enough. And this is why I know, because I've been trained in, in, in high stuff, the psyche of a closer to hear no too many times affects how he can sell. And so right. one of the techniques is set them up with success with all the information they need to close it. They have a higher percentage. They're going to be better at their job. And that's right. what they don't talk about the tangibles. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I find sales because I've wore, I've had, so I used to be a inner, I used to be the number two of a $20 million a year segment of a 50 to hundred million dollar year company. Mm -hmm. We had anywhere from 40 to a hundred salespeople at any time. I had 11 to 20 people that were salespeople that had to answer to me all, for the last five years of that uh, by title, but for the last decade of my career by leadership. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they had to listen or I was responsible for them. However you want to look at it. And um, I've seen a lot of personalities come and go. And what I find interesting about salespeople is in the pursuit of avoiding rejection, or trying to avoid rejection, they find more of it. So we we get scared to have 19 people tell us, ah, leave me alone, because we don't want to hear that 19 times. It reminds us, for some reason, of every life failure we've ever had those 19 times, which is not what the truth is, okay? We want to draw, we want to bring all of our life's history into that failing moment, okay? Make it way heavier than it really is. Okay, but what they'll do so they don't have to hear no or be rejected by 19 people is they'll talk to fewer people and wrestle with them and try to bend their ear or they'll try to wrap one in the submission and it's a fight and you get more rejection in life overall living that way mm -hmm. than had you talked to 20 people, mm -hmm. you know? So we end up in the midst of trying to avoid rejection we end up creating it, you know, it, it, it's like going chin first. You know what I'm saying? Don't worry yeah. about it. No, it, it's, it's, it's the greatest compliment I've ever got from anybody that talks about me. They go in the same sentence, you can cuddle me and knock me the fuck out. <laughs> and I find so much joy in that because there are both sides of it. I can be a hundred percent honest with you, but also care about your well-being in the in the interim, right? I, and I think I think uh, the avoidance thing is so important because we're avoiding all the things, like the the places that you're trying to avoid are exactly where you should be looking. Exactly. To me, life's criticism is the universe's way of telling me that it loves me. Okay, because life's criticisms. Those are the things that guide me and shape me to be a more perfect person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you ever find yourself with the universe not criticizing you, you better <laughs> you better go figure out something to do. You better find out what, you know, you better go find a, a less safe spot. No, I love that. So when, you know, you're, 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 
you you deal with this illness and you're you're trying to figure out what's going on and you're in the hospital and all these different things um what has this last year you know to get back out in sales to see success what has that done for you has that kind of reinvigorated your life and and kind of oh, uh, attached yeah. to new meaning to yeah. it you know i when when you're um my inactivity you know in the workforce uh, facilitated questions you know about my my uh you know you take a head injury you know uh, your brain's bleeding is he going to come back right or is he you know is he toast because <laughs> uh you know the right head injury traumatic brain damage you know it can take you out i couldn't walk for a little while but this past year has been refreshing for me because I got to remind my family mm -hmm. counting on me to bring in bread mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and my family that's not counting on me to bring in bread, but is watching my prosperity. I got to remind them who I am and I, they got to see who I am and the version of me that came back into the workforce. I don't want to say bulletproof because that's probably unfair, but Based on what I ended up overcoming and going through, you'll be hard pressed to present me a scenario mm -hmm. too complex or too challenged. I'm not going to flinch for anything. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 it's tough to impress me with a challenge now. As a result of that, I'm looking at bigger ones. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm almost ravenous when it comes to growth. Um, so as soon as I accomplish a million in sales, I'm ready to do two. And it's not because I like the money. The money is a byproduct of a perfect process, I think. Um, I like to challenge my brain. And one of my goals a year ago, and I had to remind my partner of this, okay? I told him, I, he was freaking out. And I said, hey, dude, just remember a year ago, this is what we prayed for. And he was like, oh, yeah. So we're freaking out because our head's splitting. Like, you ought to see my calendar, Okay. I almost have to keep a calendar to keep my calendar. I'm, I'm, I'm so busy. All right. Like if I, if I don't get to everything, I push it to the next morning. I'm, I'm forever on my calendar. Right. And so our brains in some point, you know, that hour when we were working in the restaurant business where it was just slammed and you couldn't hardly think mm -hmm. I had us on that program for like eight hours a day for a month or two straight. And our laborers, <laughs> Okay, because I'm telling our laborers, all right, our contract laborers, I go, where are the rest of y'all? I need more of y'all. I yeah. need y'all to double the workforce is what I was telling them. And they go, oh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I only bring in this kind of work when we have a major hurricane. Mm -hmm. so they, they compare me to a hurricane. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so I, we're freaking out because we have so much business. I mean, mentally, it was an, it was tough to even go through a five to 10 minute span without some sort of mm -hmm. trying to happen. Business pending, business finishing, business starting, all of it. And um, it got to the point where I, my head almost, uh, I, it was a little bit too much for me, which takes a lot. And my partner's freaking out and I had to remind him, I was like, dude, this is what we prayed for a year ago. And once you, 
I bring that up because a lot of the things we go through today as people that we complain about are answers to the prayers that we asked for a year ago. You always want to pay attention to that. It's like you, you wanted to be where you are now in a lot of cases a year ago. You just didn't know it would look quite like it does, you know? So it's okay to not, it's okay to still be thankful and, and look back and realize you asked for the life that you have right now. You're the one that asked for it, you know, and you were given it. No, it's, it's the truth. I had a friend tell me, he goes, Hey, you like, remember when you like begged and pleaded that two years ago that your life would be what it was now. He goes, realize that you're walking that path as you sit right now. Yeah. The whole crap. Right. And so we have, um, I love my COO because he's just as insane as I am, but like we've hired 26 people in 90 days with no, no marketing and we're still busy. And we're still, and we still don't have enough people. Right. And I go, are you fucking, this is what I told him. I said, are you fucking telling me that my growth plan for the entire year we did in 90 days and now I got to go double that again. And you gotta go. he's like, yeah, I am. And I'm awesome. Like, oh no, no, it's great. But like, it's like, holy crap. And then like, but then I think to myself, if I turned it off, like we haven't even turned on the marketing yet. And so like, you have, you have to understand that like, as a great uh, mentor of mine, he said, at one point in the company, you're either doing two things and two things only. You're either growing top line or you're, or you're creating more net profit. They can't work. Yeah. They can't work at the same time. Yeah. We know that we're in top line growth for the next two years. So that solves so many problems. And then right. you start, you know, but, but here's what's happening just by, you know, good work and the proper people we're doing both, but the focus is on the top line. But I think ultimately you have to ask yourself, are you all in? Are you, are you all into this thing? Right. And you know, those people that work for you, they're happy with the work. So then they're going to go find more people and they're going to bring them in. Right. And that's kind of what, that's the recipe that you're hoping to create. Well, sure. And I love service. I think that, um, you know, I, I put something on my Facebook, um, just a little saying I came up with that, it's not until a man serves another person that he can even realize the greatest attributes of himself. And waking up to challenge my potential every day, um, accomplishing things, um, I'd run into plateaus or, or barriers of growth that I almost couldn't figure out ways out of until I decided to go help other people. And so people that are coming into our business, uh, quality workers, they, it's weird having them watch me because I'm not putting on. I just want to create an environment of love, service, um, helping each other, because uh, that's who I prefer to be around. And it's wild seeing how um, thankful they are, how it, it just seeing somebody that is an employer that treats them like they matter. You know what? You want me to share something with you? It's wild, you know? So my HR director told me that one of the employees came up to her last week and said, this is the first time in my 45 years of life 
that I don't feel like a doormat. That's awesome. That's what this whole thing is about, man. It's it, it's everything. Like I had a guy crying last night because he's so happy about life and who he's working for. And he's like, dude, I, it's all possible working with you. And it's like, and, and the thing is, is what I, the same thing I told my client this morning, I was like the alcohol addiction, the divorce, the drug addiction, the homelessness, the, 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 the weird path. It, it made me, and I have no problem. Like, and, and this sounds so egotistical, but it's not, there's no chance that I'm not a top five, top 10% CEO in America. Yeah. And I might not have certain chops, but there's nobody that can motivate people and care about them the way that I do. And here's what I'm okay with that. This is a season of my life. And then I will become more of a uh, motivator slash quarterback when I become president and so on and so on. So I'm, you, my other owners couldn't pull me out of this shit. Like, come try to give me motherfuckers. Like, I fucking love what I'm doing. Like, but like, but I'm also okay with putting this much into it because I know it's a time, it's a season and a place. Because I do yeah. want to have kids and I do want to be, you know, more available to take them to soccer and stuff. But if I do it now, if I put in the work now, then I'm going to have more freedom here. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. That's one thing that I, uh, you know, I came from a job that worked us um, like dogs. Okay, I worked for a company and um, it wasn't until the last maybe year, it seemed that it got reasonable or close to it. But in what I do now, uh, you know, I had to do in vitro. We had to do in vitro three rounds to have one kid, mm -hmm. you know. Um, my wife had a less than 2% chance of naturally conceiving. She had low ovarian reserve. I talked to an embryologist statistician for an hour and a half, and he said that the odds of us having a kid every time we spent 12 grand was 36%. And sure enough, we had to do it three times. Um, we had Samuel, thank God. She, um, she had some pretty tough complications afterwards, just hormone regulation. But um, to me, man, uh, it's special. I, I won't, it's not that I don't do it. One or two times, three times in the last year, I've missed practice or time with him. But five o'clock matters. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll borderline burn down the success ship to make sure I captivate that moment with my kid and my family. Mm -hmm. And um, that's hard. My dad was a workaholic. My sister's a workaholic. I easily am a workaholic. I, you know, people used to complain about working 12 hours a day. And I looked like a leader because I didn't complain. Mm -hmm. But it was so ingrained in me that you can't, you can't outwork me because oh. I, I love it too. You yeah. just, I, I can act like I'm working like, in the 14th hour or whatever and act like it's a problem because that's what normal people do. But I didn't care. I was in. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a tremendous amount of discipline for me to get home at five or six. Um, it takes a tremendous amount of discipline to sit down and have face-to-face -face contact with my family at dinner. Not because I don't love them. I, I want to work and grind and grow and build. And, and to me, it's like how I used to play Call of Duty. So five years ago, 
I was a uh, top 1% in the world on Call of Duty online. My just putting that out there. 111,000th in the world and there were 12 million people playing roughly. I don't I had to put the game down, of course. But, you know, work and success for me is like my Call of Duty. You know, I get to act like maybe if I wanted to try with my wife and go ho-hum, I had such a long day. Can you get dinner going and use it to get what I want? But the reality is I do it because I love it. And it's a game that I play. And I think as a highly successful person um, and anyone who's about high accomplishment with family, that it's important to take the same discipline that you use to have success and make sure you're serving time with your family. So if I were I'd be if I lived near you, just so you know, I'd be monitoring you, making sure holding you accountable. Well, I, that's why I live far away. Uh, so uh, one of the things, one of the tricks I learned from a super successful guy, and I've kind of adapted my own little ways. So I have a unique way I structure my week, and it's worked for me. Uh, it's not foolproof, but it, it's it's better than most. Okay, so the way I view my week is Monday is holy shit day. So Monday is seven to seven straight through no breaks, no nothing. Uh, I accomplish more on Mondays than most people do in an entire week. So that's that day. Tuesday is more meetings, uh, this, that, and the other. And then as the week goes on, Friday has no standing meetings whatsoever. And then Thursday afternoon after 12 has no standing meetings. I'll Friday I'll go play golf. I'll go meet investors. But that discipline and that, and like, so like that Friday, that Thursday is like catching up with investors, doing some things with the business, but those Monday, Tuesdays, everybody knows that those are like intense. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. I can barely think after the day, but I it's, love that. it's been great. You know why we started that? Cause we were traveling with the RV. And so on Thursdays, we would normally travel day and I just, yeah. I just loved it. Right. And, and so it's been amazing and and I'll do all my coaching on Monday and with the podcast and my meetings. It's it's been really nice. Uh it, it just allows me to like turn it off on Friday so I don't feel like it. That's awesome because a lot of people don't wake up on their Monday ready to take on a week like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's incredible um to take that first bite out of that week and be aggressive with it. You know, that's really cool. To, that's a trait of a a highly successful person, I'd say, you know, no, hundred percent. I think ultimately one of the things that I struggled with, and this was like two, three years, especially when I got sober and something I've made peace with now that won't outwork me. Like, here's what I'll do. That'll just ruin everybody else is I am the most consistent son of a bitch you've ever met in your life. You're not, you're never going to get like, and, and, and so what I realized as a coach is I have to, you know, one of my favorite uh, kind of quotes from an, one of my other mentors, like, does your does your audio match your video, right? And yeah. so I, you, I don't care what time you're waking up. You see my Instagram story, 5 a.m., 4.30, yeah. I'm up. And so no matter what yeah. they did, the coach was leading the tone, right? And, yeah. and what I realized is that was part of, I started getting up for others instead of me. Yes, that's it, dude. Right. And so that's you do it. these things, you create these things, these pools, right? Because you and I are more, I'm I'm easier if I spend money 
you know, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm, I'm more inclined to do it. Right. Cause I'm the last person to, and you know, put money on myself. Right. But if it's, Oh, my fiance wants it, it's fine. Whatever you need. Um, so you, you just learn these little tricks, you, you learn these little ways to get started and then you create a new reality and then you just, boom, you're, you're off the game. Absolutely. There, you know, the, the waking up <clears throat> for another person, there's people that don't want to get out of bed in the morning. There's, but there's people who have families that don't even consider it. It's seamless. You automatically are getting up mm -hmm. and it work, you know, serving other people creates an innate power in us that we don't even have to try to instill just by serving others. We're immediately powerful. And I want to, since we have sales backgrounds in history, mm -hmm. I want to give you um, a little parable, if you will, about the importance of high achievement and raising the bar. Okay. So, and this has nothing to do with greed or money. But money is a, a measure of what we're putting in and what we're getting out in terms of effort, fortitude, mental capacity. Okay, uh, So we play little games with money that don't have to do with spending it or greed. I drive a terrible vehicle and make a lot of money. I, I, it's because I play a game about high achievement. But here's what happens. This is, this is why it's important to always raise your goals. Now, I know we as salespeople, when we hear that, we think, oh, my gosh, here we go. Another motivational speaker telling us to raise our goal. No, but I'm going to tell you there's a really interesting science, psychology behind it. So let's say I tied your hands behind your back, okay? I punched you in the face, knocked you to the ground, and said, all right, get up. I'll give you a dollar. You might get up, right? Tied your hands behind your back and I punched you in the face and I said, now get up for a million dollars. Question is this. Will you get up one more time than you would have for high achievement versus low achievement? Answer to that is yes. Here's my point. It's more difficult in life to be average than it is to be great. Because people who wake up to be great because who we are designed to be and who we are created to be is great. We innately accomplish more and get more just by waking up to be great. We're going to get up more often. We're going to overcome more things. We're going to see obstacles as minute things when we're going to achieve. The point is, if you ever find yourself having a tough time being motivated in life, it's because you're not rewarding yourself with enough. Dude. Call with the client this morning, sales guy, moved to a company of straight savages. I mean, this is like, don't do your job. You're gone. Like two weeks. Like just, I mean, just we're talking about ninjas and ninjas, right? This is high <laughs> ticket sales, scary stuff. He went from a company that was very low and he's had the best two weeks that anybody new to the company has ever had. Right. And I, he, I said, what's the life lesson here? And I said, you can't put a fucking shark in a minnow tank. <laughs> right. Raise to the ability of the people that you are around. And you know that for the rest of your life, you have to go to the place that makes and challenges you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why my new thing is very simple. I have a creed that I live by. It's my new definition and theme of life is that I only will seek and I only will be drawn towards races 
that I can't win. Nice. It's funny because I want to, uh, you know, I don't know where um, we are on time or what have you, but um, got like five minutes. Perfect. So uh, I put this together for this five minutes then. Um, I accomplished something in my life that's mathematically impossible. And as a result of it, and overcoming it, my mission is to influence people in a way that changes what they believe is possible and do that through showing them who they are. Um, that's my life mission. And, you know, I want to uh, thank a few people because this is my first going public of some of this stuff, right? Uh, I want to thank Brad Moss, Mark Zaid, uh, and the James Madison Project. I would like to thank Mark Polymopoulos um, of the CIA. Uh, when I was alone in my journey, you were my shepherd. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I'd like to thank Dr. Uh, Alava of UTNT. You and your team's work was built with the hands of angels. Uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Dang of UT Neurosciences for her persistence. She never quit until we achieved our goal. And I'd like to thank members of the Father's House Church and a very special thanks to my family for the love and support. And finally, I'd like to thank God for casting every one of your roles in this life. Amazing. And before we get out of here, uh, for anybody that's listened to this podcast, all 500 plus episodes who's known me in the last four, six, seven years, like this man that's sitting in front of you was the first person that taught me my thoughts were decent. My thoughts and my own beliefs of who I was were enough. Um, and so that holds a special place into my heart. And uh, him and Terry, the guy that you haven't seen on the podcast is the one that you hear in all the stories that picked me up and, and, and did all those things. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a full circle moment for me. Um, when uh, I sent Kurt a message, he played it in front of his congregation, um, and it really, you know, struck with me. And the entire real full circle moment is going to be when I speak to the congregation. I, I cannot wait. Uh, I'm I, I might not wear a shirt because I'll be busting out so happy. I just might run through the thing. <laughs> we'll do but but no, but you know, guys, this is my message to you that the 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 life road is very windy and the mountains are are, are sometimes uh real and invisible uh and you ultimately you know know that um you know what kurt cared about more than anything was that um his words were they were heard right or there was lessons at least taught and one of my favorite things that i learned through coaching is I can't control, uh, no, I, the only thing I can control is what I say. I can't control when you hear it. Right. And so yeah. I just want to thank you personally. I'm so excited. Um, I can't wait to send this to Terry uh, and so many other people. So uh, if, people did, if people did want to reach out and connect with you, how would they do that? Um, my, You can, uh, Kirk Hampton, you can message me on uh, Facebook. Um, 
think I'm on uh, Instagram also. I don't post much on there or Twitter. Um, LinkedIn, I'm on there. Uh, and my phone number is 409-728-5229. Call me anytime. Um, and just uh, however you'd like to communicate. Awesome. Guys, if you got some value from this episode, send it to a friend. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.